0: Welcome to the Blau Journal podcast. This is Anthony Bear, the publisher of Blau Journal. Today we are at the second day of ICSC Recon here in Las Vegas. This is the largest retail conference uh, in the world. There's about thirty thousand people that attend the event uh, today. My guest on the podcast is Joseph Scaretta. He is the co-CEO and founder of CS Hudson. They're a facilities uh, management and um, retail development company. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for, for sitting down today Thanks for me. having me, pleasure. Yeah, so I guess first, Joseph, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, tell us about CS Hudson, and we can talk about what's going on in retail, some of the trends, and some of the things interesting that you're doing in the experiential
1: space. Excellent, no, I appreciate that, Anthony. You know, a little bit of background on my, myself and my firm. You know, I started in retail operations many years ago. Um, CS Hudson is our second venture, my partners and I. Um, our first venture outside of retail operations, I met one of my partners who was into construction and we got into retail renovations and facility maintenance. When I was working on the retail operations side, we found that the communication and coordination for general contractors and repair work was very poor. It was lacking. There was no coordination. There was no follow through on punch list. So we felt that we could do it better. Um, My partner's a master craftsman. So we started our firm, Empire Facilities. This was several years ago back since uh, 2003. Uh, We built up that firm offering both maintenance and repair nationwide, and then we also touched on light capital projects um, where larger general contractors couldn't support um, from a cost and a timing perspective and an overhead, and then smaller uh, mom-and-pop maintenance firms couldn't handle the multi-trade, multi-site. So we found this niche offering that we really were able to support and really grow the foundation of our firm. Um, we built that up. We recapitalized our private equity uh, back in 2012. We stayed on for a period of five plus years. And then after uh, we left the firm, and we decided to open and found CS Hudson. CS Hudson offers similar service offerings, but for us, it's really driving the value for the client and really focusing on uh, finding niche opportunities to add value to a client relationship. Uh, we support on the facility maintenance side, and we also support capital projects. And then we have a subset of service offering, we we refer to as our experiential arm. That experiential arm supports pop-ups for both traditional retailers, digitally native brands. We also do shop and shops across the country, uh, multi-site rollouts and refreshes, experiential events and activations, and then we also do graphic installations to that experiential arm.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So your company's based out of Long Island, is Long Island, right? yep. uh, Most of your clients in the New York area, or do you work with clients nationwide?
1: We maintain a national footprint supporting our clients, so our clients uh, really are coast to coast, and their store footprint, uh, both store, retail, restaurant, landlord footprints support the entire U.S. Wow. So obviously
0: we're here at Recon. This is the retail conference, right, for everyone to come from all over. Um, retail has gone through a lot of transition in the last few years right there was the armageddon you know uh, fear a couple years ago to now people taming that down a little bit and saying well it's just a reinvention uh, not so much a complete demise of retail and we're seeing it with the hybrid models and omni-channel, and uh, you know uh, stores that are just physically digital are now getting into the real estate space and and getting you know opening stores and and, and retail companies are, are moving you know online, right, and so that you got that omni-channel. Um, but in, somewhere in between there is the mix of, obviously, experiential. That is now kind of the new tag word that you're hearing is that uh, from the younger shoppers to the older, everyone wants to have some form of experience when they go to the malls. Um, that is changing the layout of a lot of malls. Um, in our area on the West Coast, we're seeing a lot of open-air malls now more because we have the weather. Uh, what are you seeing uh, with clients that you have? What kind of experiential elements are they integrating in? And maybe talk a little bit about some of the pop-ups, because that's kind of an, an exciting uh, area, I think. Too.
1: No, absolutely, I appreciate that. I think for you know the, the trends we're seeing in retail right now, it's, it's, it's really a, an exciting time. I know that we went through this doom and gloom of the retail apocalypse. And I would tell you that some of the firms and some of the retailers that are no longer in operation, it's because they never evolved with the times. They they rest on their laurels, on their brands. They never focused on really trying to support their consumer and really trying to change and, and, and enhance their experience in store. And so we're seeing a lot of retail clients right now focusing on adding customization to their space, you know, looking for ways to drive, you know, frictionless shopping, which has been incredible in some of the different marketplaces like Jose Bank, for instance, and Men's Warehouse. You know, where do you, where do you go where do you know you can go to get a custom suit in two to three weeks for under $400? Right. That's incredible. And I think part of that, sure, we could touch on it's the Amazon effect, right? Everybody needs to keep up. and. But I also think that it's part of the retailers that are reinventing themselves and really trying to reconnect with their customer. I think a lot of times, We've gotten away from listening to what the customer really wants and what they're asking for, and I think the retailers have survived. They've adapted and they've they've grown their brand. They've leveraged different creative partnerships to extend their brand into other consumer markets. Uh, they've really followed the omni-channel. Uh, they've tried to get into you know you look at uh, great for instance Chanel. Chanel opened their hotel downtown right. Detroit. You know they're leveraging their brand as more of a lifestyle brand right. and creating this this hospitality. You know. And inviting consumers, and they're really growing their brand footprint. You know, those creative partnerships and those creative ventures are really what's going to help grow their brand. you're in New York. Equinox, Equinox is another of course, one, right? Absolutely. So what,
0: what uh, Harvey is doing with with them? Well, I mean, started as a fitness, they're getting into lifestyle and even a hotel element, and um, trying to make a 360 you know, lifestyle brand out of it.
1: No, and I think what's interesting, too, is I think sometimes we we, we always touch on the technology. We always touch on the experiential activation. The experiential has become really big right now. It's the trend word everybody right. wants to do experience. And we were talking during our, our seminar yesterday, you know, Sometimes people don't really know, they just know they want an experience. They don't even know what that experience right. is. And what well, we always try to really you know, push our customers to come up with what what are your goals of the experience? Now, do you want to have an experience just to say you had an experience It was great? Are you looking to leverage those five senses? You know, a great example is when you look at some of the experiences that have been launched, you know, are you looking for brand lift? Are you looking for, you know, uh, growth and revenue or are you looking to test a product, and I think really trying to develop your goals to find what those niches are are, are going to be key
0: right The other thing I see too is I mean being in a niche is obviously important and it and 's good and it works, but what I see more and more people now it 's so competitive out there and in, in all different landscapes as it 's been easier to get in other people 's business right i mean amazon 's in so many people 's businesses now uh, and, and medical now and, and so you know what you kind of see is is in a lot of categories, you almost have to be a, a lot of things to a lot of people, uh, and there's also, like I said, the opposite of where you're focusing on stuff, but what I'm saying is, in response to like experiential, when you look like what's really big right now with the younger generation uh, are the big festivals. There's one in town here that was going on here uh, during while we are here, EDC uh... i mean this has grown to forty thousand people that go to this and people go for various reasons just like they go to the mall some maybe go solely for the music another one is let's say Coachella on the experiential side absolutely some go for the music some go for the fashion to take you know instagram pictures uh... some go to just hang out with their friends some go for the food Uh, so i think they've been successful because they've created in a way like a disneyland where there's something for everything right there's a part of disneyland where adults can kind of do things the kids can do things instead of just saying no we only do this and then you're very limited so I think malls that open up to a variety of combinations where not only can the family go, but there's an area for where millennials like to go, where, you know, maybe an area where single people can go and do things. Now there's a reason to bring a lot of people, right, instead of maybe just the families pushing the kids in the shopping carts,
1: which if you're single, you want to try to avoid, right? (laughs) Of course. I think the malls malls at one time were the communal place, right? right? It's where you went to do your shopping on the weekend. It's when you took your entire family there. But I agree. I think there's definitely an opportunity where malls are focusing on, you know, the Sears of the world that are moving out of spaces, there's a multitude of closures. I think it's offering landlords the opportunity to really redevelop their spaces, right. and in some instances, you know, some of those long-term leases that some of these folks are getting out of or some of these brands, it's 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 allowing them to open up restaurants, marketplaces, creative, you know, retail as a service, pop-up shops. That are Rotating uh, different local and direct to consumer brands in and out, something that 's creating more of an experience and environment where it 's inviting, but you're really bringing you 're offering something to everybody yep. and I think that when you 're able to do that you 're able to increase that brand footprint you know even landlords they have a brand that they want to portray they have there 's a reason why they 're going out and simon 's redeveloping the center up in washington there 's a reason why they 're doing all this redevelopment they want to continue to drive that consumer traffic. Right you know, malls were a place where everybody went. And for a period of time, with all the different closures, you start to see where malls weren't as uh, frequented, right? And now there's an opportunity with all you know. I've seen everything from ice skates, uh, ice skating rinks added into retail centers to right. customized shops. Oh, they have that to surfing. Wave machine they have the gli- They have the yeah. glide machine here. Right, can- so I think you're seeing that happen, and right. I think you're seeing this resurgence in retail where it's allowing these centers to leverage their properties for much more than than just a retail environment. They're offering this full service experience, right. and people. And I would say the generation today, people want to. People will pay for an experience. Experience builds brand loyalty. Right. Right. You want to go there. No different than... If you talk to somebody that's been to Coachella once, they're they're a lifer. They're yeah. going back. Yeah. And I think a lot of these centers are trying to get to that same level. So it's a great point, and it's a great... Uh it's a great comparison. Well,
0: and they, they actually have a lot to learn with. I went to recently to Stagecoach, which is the you know country version of it. It was my first time. And to be honest with you, they have a lot of interesting new food and culinary and pop-up kind of places that they rotate from year to year to keep it fresh. It's very cultural. And, uh, cultural and ice cream company that's smaller. So they do. They, they let these up and upcoming brands come in. And then, of course, they have the big sponsors that are sponsoring a lot of money to be there. But I think what's neat is they help. Introduce some of these young brands, whether it's a new a coffee company or, or a beverage company or kombucha or, or, or ice cream, you, you get to expose this to thirty or forty thousand people or fifty or 100, over or a hundred overnight over the course of two not even just overnight yeah. over the course of two or three days, um, and I think retail needs to look at that. And by that I mean is, you know, it's never been really everything's retail for for numbers for for real estate is long-term leases and that hasn't worked for a lot of you know companies now to a certain degree because uh, some companies need to kind of come in and, and prove their model, right? And so what I think that landlords need to do is have a mix of long-term, right, like the anchor tenants they had, but then offer 10 or 20 percent of their shopping centers to short-term pop-up, as we were talking about, to let these younger brands come in in smaller spaces, prove their concept, and if it is, then maybe they renew them in a longer lease and a bigger space, right? So you have this testing ground of small footprint and then you see where they're at in a two or three years. And if they succeeded, you, you, you integrate them within your shopping center into a bigger space. You know? And I think that, that's kind of exciting that some landlords are now willing to look at that, and that brings in the creativity.
1: And I think, I think you bring up another valid point too. You know, five or 10 years ago, you couldn't touch a retail lease under five or 10 yeah, years. Right. No. Landlords were very picky on what tenants they would allow into their spaces. They wouldn't want the short-term tenant or the entrepreneur that was a startup. Right. Maybe they came up, came up with a great idea or a concept they wanted to roll out you know, it was, you know, what are your financials? You know, are you strong enough to sign up for a five or 10 year lease? We don't like these temporary leases. It's now you look at, all the different major landlords all have special leasing yeah. groups what your, becomes, they're
0: asking like what's your traction how many people are following you on Instagram do people really love your ice cream sandwiches can you we know, bring more volume more now the now the landlord's finally like listening to the consumer instead before it was basic metrics and finances as you talked about like are your finances strong can you commit to this can do you, you, have do you have experience and you're like well no we're a startup every you know uber started with a couple guys right and I mean, every every, every
1: startup they always ask you what your experience is, and you need to have the ability to have an experience. Right. And so, inviting a lot of these startups into their centers create that excitement. Right? right? Um, we're we're historically a very entrepreneurial society, and you know, having those areas where you can now have almost an incubator for these different entrepreneurial startups and. You know, digital-native brands that made success on the digital side, that are now looking for brick-and-mortar footprint. It creates more excitement within these centers. And I think that's what landlords are, are starving for. They want that excitement. They want that next round of consumer. They want the, they want the Instagram impressions. They right. want the followers on, the, on their Instagram. And,
0: and foot traffic, obviously, is, is key for these centers. Uh, so what's interesting that's kind of changed is before, obviously, it was the big anchor tenants, the Sears, and a lot of the, you know, K-marts are the ones that are struggling. Uh, but now, you know, look, for example, like Planet Fitness has done phenomenally well. Uh, if you just even look at their stock, what they've done, the fitness company, they have now come in as anchors five, ten years ago. No landlord wanted to have a fitness gym as an as a anchor, let alone as a tenant. And now they're begging them to come in. You know, listen to the CEO. They have a wait list now of franchise to go into these malls, and they pit, basically take over part of the space because the amount of foot traffic that comes in for their model of a, a low monthly fee to be able to go to work out they're opening up locations all over so if you get that traffic then all of a sudden you know maybe then some food places open up because after you go to the gym you want to get a smoothie or you, you need to pick up shirt you need to pick up clothing absolutely so they're they're changing that and the other thing is is um I think centers are really around food because food is and should be an experience if you order something to go you know a Instacart or whatnot, great you're sitting at home or with your family eating by yourself or whatnot, fine But you still want to go have an experience, you know, at a communal table in a nice area that's bustling with people with the great food and good service. That's experience. And so now we're seeing even, I think, retail places looking to really see what restaurants could be potential anchors. Absolutely,
1: to add into the different centers. To to your point, the restaurants, restaurants to me are less cyclical. They they bring in consumers on a regular basis. And so having the, the different uh, different cultures and different different cultural restaurants, allowing folks to come in, sample different different products and different uh, different foods. Again, it creates that communal environment at the mall. And you know, another great thing to touch on is co-working. Right? You're seeing everybody's talking about co-working in the malls, right? You know, typically you go to a, a co-working environment. You know, what WeWork is trying to build at WeWork, the malls already have access to. Yeah. They have the restaurants. They right. have the fitness. They have the lifestyle center. They have everything you need at their fingertips minus the co-working space right. so adding it in is a natural extension. Oh, it is a natural. It's a natural yeah, extension. Yeah, cuz
0: if you could I mean if you you know, granted, you know, you could do, go parking or you're taking Uber there and you could say, well, you know what, I'm going to the mall for the day, but it's to work. And then after you just walk down in the mall to go to Planet Fitness or to Equinox to go to the gym, and you go back to co-working and then maybe you grab a dinner. You know, because you're at the mall and there's restaurants. You
1: could literally be there the entire day. You could be there the entire day.
0: day and serve five needs and not have to get in a car. and Actually, not even have to own a car. I mean, if you're in New York, no. But even maybe in the suburbs, you could just Uber there and spend the whole day there. And then, wow, that whole... That whole uh, They've captured your they entire capture experience entire day, for the entire day. For the entire day there. There's no reason to it's, leave. Because most people, that's why co-working I think is good, then are only going for fun or for lunch or to work out. But then they got to go to work. They have to and leave, as a they person who uses else, yeah. co-working a lot when he travels I'd use WeWork and i travel and work remote I think that's a great idea you know to spend time and and, and I'm not a fan of the malls because I don't want to spend half of my nice sunny day in, in <laughs> California in a mall but if there was a co-working element to it and and then maybe there's a, you know, a smaller Whole Foods or a store so now you can shop this is back to what we were talking about before of kind of the European experience why I said a lot of people like when they go to Europe for travel they want to go for experience so many things there is mixed use you work in the building there's retail down below there's a grocery store in the corner so people shop just for the day you'll go to work you go downstairs to grab something neat after you'll go and you buy a shirt from h&m just one just because you need one for that week and you'll go grab your groceries for the day next day or two and you walk with your bag and you walk down the subway and you go you've done everything within like 500 meters
1: you never had to leave. Yeah.
0: And so, you know, then you go, but it's just, it's convenient, especially during the work week. And then on the weekends, then you can kind of wander around when you have more time. And you
1: know. and, and it's and it's, uh, it's also, you look at all the different touch points within, you know, mall environments or open centers where they're offering this co-working. It's, it's that tied into the frictionless, you know, going into a store, ordering a shirt online, going and picking it up. You never have to wait online anymore. So it's being able to leverage all these different opportunities within the the mall or retail environment as like a on, A lot of the corporate landlords are looking for that in their buildings. They're they're going out there, they're trying to bring in a, a better restaurant. They're trying to, they don't want their tenants leaving, going to right. a local restaurant. They want to keep it all within their facility. And like I said, I think the malls have a unique opportunity to leverage that space to go after the co-working market, to go after a layering experience into the mall, because they have that footprint, they have that traffic already, and all they're gonna do is enhance all the other environments around them by offering those experiences.
0: (laughs) This is funny because I was at the Marcus and Millichap retail trans event yesterday, and uh, they were talking about frictionless, right? And the guy behind me laughs and goes, what is frictionless? And the lady was trying to explain. He's like, so you mean people just don't want to interact with people for 20 minutes? That's their problem, (laughs) right? And he was chuckling, but it's kind of true, right? I mean, in a way, that's what frictionless is, is like, I don't have to go to the counter and deal with this person, I want to make it. And so I think there's a good side and a bad side of that. You lose a person. You, you lose, lose a personalized, a personalized touch. touch. Now, I think there's a lot of jobs or so that maybe people shouldn't be doing because they're not that happy, it's routine, it's something that technology could do. And then you reposition them into a position where... Um, they're much better with human contact, right? Where they're actually happy, whether it's greeting or, or assisting people instead of mundane things that maybe you can tell they're not the happiest at work, and a computer could be doing that.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a great point too, because I think you're gonna you wanna look at areas where you can offer frictionless support through cashless checkout right. or um, you know, online pickup in store and redeploy those, those you know, the, the individuals into more supportive customer service. I think where we need to really invest our time, we talk a lot about technology in retail, how the enhancement of technology and what it's doing for retail, we talk about digitally native brands, but the one thing I think we sometimes also miss too is just the customer service aspect. Yeah. You know, going in and really offering value to that customer when they walk through those doors, taking them through the customer journey of your space, talking about all the different products and services you offer, and just having a great conversation. Right. You know, building that, that loyalty, that builds brand loyalty, it builds customers that want to come back. And I think that I agree with you. I get a little concerned sometimes we get so involved in the technology yeah. that we, we lose a little bit of touch so If we could redeploy uh, those field folks into more customer-centric positions, yes. it could really enhance the retail value. I,
0: I say this quite a bit. I said just because something's convenient doesn't mean it's necessarily the right thing or better. Agreed. And we're, that's another huge keyword, right? Frictionless, convenience, 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 great. You do so much convenience, people don't, as we said, don't have to leave and they're in their bubble. And then you're in micro-bubbles. And we're seeing that happen a lot of places. And that's not good. Because when people get in their bubbles, you're not, you get group thinking, you have the ability for people to interact right. from different cultures and stuff. So I think a certain amount of convenience is good. I definitely see like friction, you know, I'll give you an example. I had to go to the dreaded DMV last week. Oh. My gosh, of any place that you <laughs> want loves friction. Nobody loves <laughs> Right, but of any place that they should use as a model of frictionless, you spend two hours waiting in line, that should be all technology up to the front, I shouldn't have to interact with anyone until I'm to the point where someone comes and says, is there anything additionally we can help you? Do you have any other questions? And then I'm you know, customer-facing, but half of all the stuff that you do there, a computer could do. While you're waiting in line there, so that's actually a good model, you know, even though it's government, that people could learn from and say, Here, here's the old way. How do we redo it?
1: I think any level of disruption that you could offer. I mean, we saw it with someone like uh, Silvercar, you know, by Audi, right? right. You know, you, you have a business traveler that came in, started an organization because he was unhappy with the status quo. You know, you rent a car. You have consumer or you have a human interaction, it's usually not a great experience. You're waiting online, you just got in, you want to get somewhere. They took and they leveraged technology for the right aspects. They added a layer of customer service in there and they enhanced the experience. And they also offered value where you're paying less than some of the major brands. So to me, that's where you really, you hit it out of the park. You're offering a better experience, you're leveraging frictionless where you can or technology where you get away from those touch points and you're going after something that um, enhances the customer experience.
0: Yeah. I think that's for the retailers to really kind of reach out to consumers, saying, "When do you want personalized touch? Where within this process?"
1: What's most important? What's most
0: important? That where would you like to interact with another human being most within the process of you coming to our place? All right, you know, leave me alone when I want to check out. I can do that on my own. But you know what? When I do have questions, like, yeah, go to Home Depot. (laughs) I mean, why does Home Depot always seem understaffed? It seems like there's and, one person working in the like, store. And I'm like, really, there's a, you have a gazillion items, and, you know, uh, and the other really frustrating one is, and I love Costco, but Costco is so frustrating because you can never find someone that works at Costco. There is no one in the aisles that works at Costco. Matter of fact, you ask a guy, and he's like, no, I'm just here stocking stuff. Because you're like, where? But that's the key, I guess, Costco. They want you to get lost. Yeah, they, they don't want, just, want you to, they to. want you to spend more time. They don't time want in you there. to know where things are at. Absolutely, because the,
1: the more time you spend, the more you're right. gonna you're gonna spend. But as a person who goes in
0: there quickly to get something <laughs> and try to get out, right? It's like of course you have the ten items or less uh, uh, a thing, you know, to go. But that doesn't work for their model. So I think you know, the landlord's reaching out and saying, where in the process. Do you want the human element still there?" would help them better decide of where do we integrate technology, where do we put the human element in within it instead of just trying to replace it. Because like I said, we are hearing a lot of just frictionless, like let's start removing a lot of people tech from everything. A lot of tech.
1: Yeah. And you really need to be able to to find the right place where you want that interaction. Right. Because to our point, the interaction builds grand loyalty. Right.
0: Let's talk a little, you're doing
1: uh, charity pop-ups, right? Yeah, we've created a program called Pop-Ups for Good. Uh, we're really excited about it because what we wanted to do is, I think for, for our, our, you know, our investment into community and culture, w- we like to invest into you know, areas where we can see our investment as far as from a, from a donation perspective of our time and the quality of the work we do. Um, we like finding niche opportunities to do that and innovation. We don't like just writing a check to a big organization, organization or charity where 3% makes the people that need it. Sure. We want to do something where we could touch with our own hands and be a part of. So we looked at opportunities around how we could leverage what we do really well and, uh, and give back to the community. So we, so that's where Pop-ups for Good was born. and We, we really wanted to take a, a unique model, something that's the here and now trend that everybody could find support and put their efforts behind and then really find a way to give give promotion to these socially charged causes that maybe don't have the large marketing they don't have the large infrastructure behind it and just do some great work for the community you know, we're a nationwide company so we support all the communities our goal is to really do pop-ups in all these different states to support the communities that we work with yeah give us an example of a type of pop-up you
0: do and for like say maybe name a kind of charity yeah, no, a charity
1: you do No absolutely we, we just did a pop-up uh, towards the end of the year uh, right around uh, December for uh, it was called Live Love Laugh we did it with Help USA their Help Suffolk chapter and what we did was we created a whimsical uh, toy shop experience for children that were homeless. And what we really wanted to do was to focus on every aspect of the pop-up, you know, all the way down to the, the, the most important, smallest detail. Uh, have you ever watched Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Yeah, of course. Uh, it's, it's a fan favorite, right? Not. We all love it. And uh, remember the golden ticket? Yeah. Well, we had our own golden ticket. We created golden tickets for children to come in. Never
0: everlasting gum? I still want to find that. I've never
1: found it, but I always I, I wanted it. I've <laughs> gone through so many pieces of gum in my life
0: just trying to find that one.
1: Uh, so we did We did the golden ticket. We, we bust the children from the facility to Tanger. We did it in partnership with Tanger Properties, uh, Tanger Outlet Center, and they gave us a space within their center. We bust the children there, and we created this, and you know, we took an old Rockport space, and we created this whimsical toy shop experience. We layered in a lot of the different pieces that we've worked on for clients before, so we had. You know, Monster Media had set up a selfie station so the children could commemorate the moment. But we were very, we were very, uh, it was important to us to, to have that moment, but to really leverage that. We didn't want to talk about where they were from or what, what they were going through. We right. wanted to say, we wanted to commemorate the actual pop of itself and right. their time there. So it was live, love, laugh. Uh, we chose those th- that name because we wanted to inspire uh, something that was goodness around giving back and, and the laughter and love of the community. We didn't want to focus on a specific holiday, a gender, a race, a culture. We wanted to just, when you came to the front door, you checked out, you checked in, and you got away from all the outside world, and you were able to just come here and be a kid. And, yeah, that's,
0: that's amazing, and especially I've done stuff with a, a lot of uh, children's charity organizations, Big Brother and whatnot, but just trying to get some of these kids out of their, you know, they, a lot of times, don't ever get out of their community or out of their little world that they live in. Um, some even to see the beach or the city or, or just even go to this, this kind of experience at a shopping center. So I think it's wonderful that you're able to do that.
1: It was, it was really interesting, too, because, you know, in talking to the executive director, Kristen, at, at Help Suffolk, it took them some time to really get... You know, we had each uh, each group of children was in there for about 45 minutes to an hour. And again, we planned every aspect of the day around their time at, at the pop-up and it took them a good 10 or 15 minutes to just let their guard down a little bit and enjoy. And just, again, because a lot of these these children are out there and they can't focus on being a kid because they're worried about where their next meal is coming from. Are are their parents going to be employed? And honestly, I think... Are they going to be deported? Whatever it is. You You don't know what... It's it's fear all the time, I know. Yeah, and so being able to check that at the door and focus on having fun. We uh, we added in eSport gaming, so we had video game tournaments. We also had this life-size claw machine, which was incredible. Um, you know, we all talk about it and we were kind of laughing we got a couple like off takes of us putting it together with, with the team our team jumping through the, the plush right yeah. and it's, it's kind of fun because who doesn't want to do that so the children were able to climb in this claw machine jump through the plush and then the best part about the pop up is they were able to go in there and pick any toy that they wanted so a lot of times with donations you're, you're, you're kind of stuck with what you get and it's okay and you appreciate someone donating it but when was the last time you had the opportunity to go in there and pick anything you could want right I wanted that as a child right You know, and being able to offer that to a child in need was really important to us. But we really focused on, we added graphics to the space to really transform the space very quickly. And then literally within a day and a half, it was put together. And within two hours, it was decommissioned.
0: Well, this brings up kind of an interesting point, right? When you're kids, normally, life is about experiences. It's about having fun and doing things. And it's like as we get older, we lose all that. We forget about that. We forget. And I think it's very essential that every grown-up and adult has a childlike quality. It doesn't mean you're childish. It means you still have you know, some essence of what it was to be a kid. There is some great elements of still being able to live, love, laugh as a kid and not worry. And, and I think even the adults, we need to look at that more. And, I, and so I think they need to create experiences. And I think you're seeing this now with these festivals. You are. You have people are going to these festivals that, you know, late 40s, 50s, you know, with a younger demographic with kids. And you might be like, oh, what are they doing there? You know, you know they're older, they should... No, they, they want to maybe relive a little bit of childhood because they've, they've been in a serious point in their life now with kids and commitment, and they want to go back to, you know, a little lighter ways, and I think that's a lot around, you know, experiential stuff as well and, and, and letting um, Parents now and adults have some fun too in a, in a good way.
1: I mean, you're seeing it. You're seeing it now with the, uh, there's some experiential uh, bars that are popping up with Legos. Right. You know, who didn't love to build Legos as yeah. a kid, right? Now you can go to a bar that's built out of Legos. It's just Jenga with, with beers, yeah. really, for which, adults. Which is a lot of fun. <laughs> and who doesn't love that? You know, because right, you, you got a
0: quasi think. You know, while you're having a cocktail, yeah. you've still got to kind of think and strategize. So. And you have to
1: lay it out, and it has to be right, right, or it doesn't have to be right. You can knock it over and right. start again. Right. It doesn't matter. Right. It's just a good time, and it's also that layer of communal back into right. anything you're doing. It's camaraderie around people around you. Right. That's the fun part about the experience. Well, and the other
0: thing, too, I say as you kind of become an adult and you have kids, you know your friend's fabric changes, right? It's because true. You're, you're, you do. You're committed to your family and kids most of the time, and you don't you don't get to do that. So you, we see these elements now where you can go now, and people can whether they're drinking games or not drinking games, but whether it's you know Jenga or you know. Or it could a be a ball pit. or, or a ball mean, pen or whatever to bring the adults together like Dave & Buster's basically yeah. does, right? To say, hey, the inner kid in you still can come out with your guy friends or girlfriends and still have fun and, you know, do something maybe without the kids. I think that's, that's kind of important. You know what's
1: interesting, too? You bring up Dave & Buster's. Dave & Buster's is a great example. If you would have looked you know, five or 10 years ago, would malls have wanted Dave & Buster's right. in their centers? Right. They probably wouldn't have. Right. And now you're seeing every mall is dying to have a Dave & Buster's yeah. in there. Because just the amount of returning consumers that are going in and out of the space, they're going in there, maybe they're gonna eat in there, maybe they're gonna play and have a good time. It's creating a nightlife, it's, it's having kids during the day, adults right. at nighttime. It's that constant place you go where people are coming in to have an experience. Back to
0: my point. There being a lot of things to a lot of different people. They are. You could go in there and just play video games. You could go in there and have a drink. You Mm -hmm. could go eat. You could bring your kids. You could watch sports. You could watch sports. You could leave your kids. You could bring a date. You could go alone. You could go with your guy friends. I mean,
1: the opportunities are endless.
0: It's not like, well, I feel weird if I go there by myself or, you know, oh, that's a date place or, you know, oh, I can't bring my kids there or you know oh i only can bring my kids there and i think back to my point is if you bring and you widen that and you kind of make a place you know where everyone can come and feel safe there's an area for you to go within your retail experience you're gonna be much more successful
1: no absolutely i agree and like i said we've 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 just we've seen it and again we've seen it with the retail bankruptcies the square footage that's opening up is tremendous so I'm excited to see the next 10 to 12 months of where retail is continuously heading.
0: Yeah, Let's uh, kind of wrap this up. What's what's been your take so far of uh, this recon? Uh, How many years have you been coming? So this is
1: actually our third year of recon um, for us, attending Recon is really a it's, a it's a great opportunity. Because of our service offering, we're able to support both landlords and retail tenants. And so here, there's really not anybody that we can't work with. Right. And so being able to support, especially on the pop-ups and experiential, both retailers and la- and landlords are looking for that. So it, it really opens up the floor to talking with anybody. I would say Recon is, is a very open uh, environment where everybody wants to come here to learn. Uh, very different than some of the other trade shows or conferences that we attend, where it's it's very... The number of providers is, is almost too much sometimes, sure. and the the environment there isn't, isn't conducive to non solicitive growth and just people wanting to learn. Uh, I would say the content at Recon is some of the best content we've yeah, seen, it and uh, it's really informative. and I think it helps it helps a lot of folks to stay at the stay at least. Maybe not ahead of the curve, but just right at the curve. Well, and it's nice they're creating
0: new innovation areas like emerging brand sector that you're in here with all the different emerging brands. Uh, I just was reading in their pamphlet, they're going away from tradition, right, which is normally not too good for everything, certain things, yes. But they're going more towards innovation and and bringing in different topics here in different companies and allowing spaces for small companies, innovative companies, technology, crop tech. Uh, not just the big, you know, retail developers, you know, well, I think, the whole I think, ecosystem.
1: I think Recon, just like, uh, just like retail was not mean to it, I think Recon's not immune mean to it either, and, and ICSC, they have to evolve. Right. Oh, yeah. And I think what the landlords and what the tenants are looking for is what, what Recon's really focused on trying to bring back with the emerging brands and the and the retail and focus area. I think everybody wants to know what are the new hottest brands that are coming up. You know, what are the newest brands doing there and making them successful? Where, where are they going next? Where are these new pop-up or retails, as, as a shelf space service models going and coming here and being able to spend time at retail and focus in the emerging brand section you're learning about what's new in the industry and that's what that's what the landlords and tenants are 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 starving for right now they want the knowledge of how can I go back and take a couple different takeaways from the conference and make my own business more successful and here I would say this is a great learning environment right and it's a great networking environment too No, it is it's great to wrap this up give me your
0: pitch we have maybe let's say some clients listening on the podcast give me your company pitch and then where they can find you online
1: so our group, I think we're, we're your nationwide support for facilities, maintenance, capital projects, and, ex, and experiential retail. Uh, you can find us online at www.cs-hudson.com, and uh, we're excited to support you nationwide. Wonderful. Joe, thanks so
0: much for taking the time to sit down today. Uh, obviously, I hope you have a good rest of the recon, and uh, definitely we'll follow we'll and we'll look forward to seeing your business grow.
1: No, thanks for having me. Great time.